We're going to begin Acts chapter 16 in Acts chapter 15, because that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? But the chapter break, whoever did this, I think they blew it. It should have been after verse 35. And so we're going to start there in two weeks. Next week is Youth Sunday, and so we'll have some things happening for that and want to encourage and share a little bit about youth camp and just make you guys aware even more so of what God has done and things like that. That's next week. The week after that, we plan on being in Acts chapter 16, but really Acts chapter 15, (laughs) just the end of it. So that's the plan. But today we'll roll through this and then we're going to hit on and totally admit we're going to springboard into two different areas. The first one's going to be heresy and what is heresy and why should you care? And the second one is the idea of the law of love and how we as Christians might handle certain peripheral things in our lives and how we interact with one another based on the convictions we have as Christians. Meaning we're not talking about basic or clear principles of ethics and morality and the way God designed things to be done, like marriage between a man and a woman and being faithful in that. Like that's a clear biblical principle. We're talking about things that are outside of that. Like, you know, when it becomes just a conviction that you have, we have liberty in Christ. What do I do with the convictions I have? And how do I interact with other believers with those convictions? Can I judge you? Can I despise you? How do I walk in that? We're going to deal with it. It's not meant to be in any way exhaustive, but hopefully just to inform you and encourage you guys in your study with, with all that. So with that being said, let's pray and then we'll get after it. Lord Jesus, here we are. We sit underneath the authority and the teaching of your word that you would speak, that you would minister. You told us you'd, you were gonna build your church. And so Lord, we trust you to do it. I pray you'd strengthen us. Help us to understand this and how to apply it to our lives, that we would be doers of your word, not hearers only. And so do your thing, Lord. We submit to you even now. Have your way in this time. We've set it apart for you. And so we invite you to do your thing. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's do this. Acts chapter 15, starting in verse 30. So when they were sent off, they came to Antioch. All right, who was they? Probably, now, hey, where are we? We're in Jerusalem. Remember, they just had this whole council thinking about, oh man, you have to be circumcised and keep the law most to be saved. Well, they just figured out, well, no, you don't. (laughs) Clearly, right? God's word says it. And we see this through what Jesus said there with Peter. They being, Silas was one of them. A guy named Judas, who they also called Barsabas. You have Paul, you have Barnabas, and you probably have a bit of an entourage that are gonna travel from Jerusalem back to Antioch. You remember the Jews had gone from, the believing Jews had gone from Antioch, or from, Antioch, or from Jerusalem up to Antioch, caused a ruckus, and then they went back down to Jerusalem. Well, now they wrote a letter, and now they're gonna go back to Antioch to fix what they had started, so to speak. So that's who they had gathered the multitude and they delivered the letter. Notice verse 31, it says, and when they had read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. And for good reason, they don't have to be circumcised or keep the law of Moses. And they're happy about it. You could understand why, that's a big deal. Of course, circumcision, yeah, would have been unfortunate, but even the law of Moses, just the way they're accustomed to have to adapt so much to what the law of Moses would make them do would have been, oh, like what Peter said, a burden that they couldn't have handled. Praise the Lord, it's just about Jesus and what he's called us to. So they rejoice over it. The church was edified. They were built up. They were excited. They could hold fast to the the beauty of the gospel and what's there and allow the spirit to lead them, as you'll see, and really help them to walk through what Romans 14 would have. And then we see now Judas and Silas themselves being prophets also exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. What does it mean that they hung out at the churches, the different home churches and the big large gatherings, and they just shared as God led them. They were teaching through probably the Old Testament and sharing on Psalm 22 or Isaiah 53, talking about Jesus and whatever else it might've been. They're just encouraging them, having words from the Lord and encouraging certain people within the church. And they were just ministering to the church that was there in Antioch as representatives really from Jerusalem. So healthy, right? This is healthy unity. We see God bringing together the church in a really important way. Verse 33, and after they had stayed there for a time, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. So the church at Antioch said, hey, you guys are awesome. Will you tell everybody in Jerusalem, hello, and we love them. Notice verse 34, though, however, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. Well, what does that mean? 
Remember when you hang out with the Lord and you spend time in his word and you set aside time to just be with him, he speaks to you. And it would seem like Silas was hanging out and they were just chatting. And it was like, you know what? I think I'm supposed to stick around. The Lord has something for me here in Antioch is I think kind of how you could say it. Being sensitive to what the Lord's doing. So he parted ways from, with Judas and, or Barsabbas, right? They all went back to Jerusalem and Silas is like, man, I really think I'm supposed to. And we're gonna find out why here in a little bit. Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch teaching the, and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And so that really brings a close to this whole chapter or segment that we've been in, this debating that the church had done and this wrestling through theology and then them arriving at what God's word has already declared and then them submitting underneath the teaching of God's word. What's neat about this is, oh, I don't know if I could say neat, Paul and Barnabas are getting ready to have a big dispute, right? They're gonna be fighting. We just saw healthy and then we're gonna see a breaking up. But again, you'll see verse 34 there where the Lord had Silas stay in Antioch for whatever reason. And wouldn't you know it, but God knew this was coming. And then Paul and Silas are gonna then team up for the sake of the kingdom. And then Barnabas and Mark, they're gonna go do their thing for the sake of the kingdom as well. And so you see God, once again, I hope you see this just weaved all throughout this book of just God working in really special ways, preparing people's hearts, setting up things for them to go and do all while doing what? Like, how do I gain access to that sweetness of loving the Lord or knowing him and being a part of that? Well, let's enjoy him. Set aside time and enjoy him. Okay, so there's that. We'll get into it again next week is Youth Sunday. Now we're gonna springboard into heresy. I'm gonna teach heresy. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm gonna teach on heresy. That's very different, isn't it? Let's see. I quoted a dude named Josh Hirschberger last couple Sundays. He said, conflict is inevitable. A healthy conflict is invaluable. We just saw that take place here. Paul and Barnabas become beloved brothers to Peter and James, the brother of Jesus, and so on. This conflict and wrestling through these doctrinal things actually brought them together. Isn't that true? We want conflict to do that. If you can handle it in a way that's mature, biblical, like a man or a woman should, conflict should bring you together. It does not mean you're going to agree on everything, and that's okay. We're going to see that in two weeks. There will be times where you just have disagreements. You can't get past it and you part your ways. It doesn't mean you don't love somebody. You just aren't walking together side by side like you were initially. And that's okay. Handle it biblically, handle it maturely. But we see here, conflict is invaluable. Healthy conflict is invaluable. Okay, I'm gonna quote him again today is why I'm talking through this. He, again, he did a class called Principles in Ministry where we invite, Bill had done this class, you invite pastors in or other leaders kind of here in the city and they just share principles and ministry that they learned. Well, he came, he said this also. He said, ideas have consequences, which I've heard before. We've all heard that. Our parents say it, our coaches say it and teachers say it. But then he said, bad ideas have victims. And so you got to be careful. Now, I want you to plug in the word theology here. Theology has consequences. What you believe about God affects the way you behave and the way you act. And bad theology has victims. And so why does good teaching matter? Because if you're teaching something that's unhealthy, you're going to hurt somebody. You're going you're gonna to distance them, perhaps, from a relationship with the Lord, Setting up things. We're gonna, we'll talk through it when we get to Romans 14 in particular. That will be the application of per, how do I walk in peripheral conviction. But we want to be careful. We have a tendency as people to hold on to or to maybe be drawn to things that are sensational and exciting, fun to hear. That's why you have news articles that have embellishment and over-exaggerations, things of that nature. A great example of it, this two or last week, we're driving and my wife clicks on an article on a very reputable news source called Facebook. <laughs> and, and she's reading me this, like an event that actually took place, right? Down in Marion, sorry, down at Lake Monroe, which we go to Lake Monroe. We go down there with the Bible college. We do wilderness trips. 
I take my kids down there as a family, all seven of us and my dog. We get in two canoes and a, and a tandem kayak and we canoe like a mile and a half, two miles to this really secluded special spot that I love. It's peaceful. It's like I, the background of it's on my phone. It's just like, it's like a 36 hours of just, I love it. They don't, but I love it. <laughs> and we go out there and we hang out and we, like I said, we were canoeing. So there were human remains found in Lake Monroe. And they investigated, and it was an unusual thing. They had to bring in somebody from Purdue, some kind of for, forensic specialist about animal things, like animal attacks, to figure out what happened. And as they're investigating, there were bite marks on the bones that would indicate that it was a snapping turtle. But it wasn't just a snapping turtle. They estimate that it was a nine-foot-long snapping turtle, as the article was reading. And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm never going back to Lake Monroe again. <laughs> If that canoe capsizes or we're hanging out by the bank, they think that it was, it's 300 years old by, the, by given the size of it. The record for the longest or the biggest snapping turtle in Indiana, because that's why you came to church, no doubt, is to know this, <laughs> is two feet, okay? And I'm like, there's a nine foot long snapping turtle in Lake Monroe. And then I'm thinking, Indiana, you're awesome. Lake Monroe, you're awesome. You can, you're so cool, Indiana. You can grow that, right? And I'm amazed by this, thinking I'm never going to Lake Monroe again. We're going to have to adjust our Bible college wilderness trip because that's sketchy. And they've been searching for this nine foot long snapping turtle that somehow can hide in Lake Monroe. And so I'm like astounded by this, sharing it and uh, shared it on Tuesday. So Tuesday I gather together with some guys and we kind of roll through the teaching and everything. And I'm like, you guys will not believe in Lake Monroe. Like we go there all the time, you know? And about 30 seconds into my story, Wilson Young's like, Jordan, this is fake. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Yeah, it took him that long to figure it out. I, we never thought to look it up because why wouldn't there be a nine foot long snapping turtle <laughs> in Lake Monroe? And, why, and then he's sitting there reading it and the scientist from Purdue, his name was Paddlejack. I'm like, oh, okay, I'm starting to see this now. I, but I just blew through all those details and thought, that's crazy. Nine, that's so cool, Indiana. You're awesome. Man, and I just blew through anything that might seem sensational, like some dude named Paddlejack coming down and figuring out that there's a nine foot long, 300 year old snapping turtle that's seven feet longer than any snapping turtle that's ever been found in the history of Indiana. It must be true because it sounds awesome and scary and unusual. We have a desire for that kind of a reaction. And so we have this drawing to something that might be sensational and fun. And that's why Paul time and time again will say, be careful and hold fast to that which is good because I want to kind of go elsewhere. So then concerning heresy, as we segue away from that, trying to explain, man, we have this tendency, if I hear something new about scripture, or what if we just looked at this doctrine from a different light, or just kind of rethought this doctrine, it's like, oh, be careful, you guys. Be aware that we have a desire for something new, or just that's how we're made in so many ways. Check it out. I want to offer you a definition of heresy from two different sources, just to kind of set the stage on what I mean when I say that, and then we'll roll into what is bad teaching, then we'll get to Romans 14. This is from a guy who wrote a book, Lester McGrath. He wrote a book called Heresy. It was a class I took in, at HU, Horizon University. It was really a wonderful, I would encourage you to read the book. It was a great book. He said simply, or defined simply, a heresy can be said to be a form of Christian belief that ends up subverting, destabilizing, or even destroying the core of the Christian faith. Lester McGrath makes a great point concerning the nature of most heresies in that it is a failed attempt at orthodoxy, remember that, it's a failed attempt at orthodox or healthy or right teaching whose fault lies not in its willingness to explore possibilities or press conceptual boundaries. I'll pause there for just a second to elaborate. A heresy's fault isn't that it's trying to understand something that's difficult to understand. A good example Arianism is the belief that Jesus isn't fully God. It's what Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses believe. And so what you have is you have Jesus. So you have Arius who lived around 300. They're battling through who is Jesus and how does it work for him to be 100% God and 100% man? Let's be honest. Those are difficult things to comprehend. 
And so what Arius does is he puts forth a thought or an understanding, a belief. Does this explain it? The answer ended up being, no, it doesn't explain it. It's not wrong to think about these things. It's not wrong to wonder how it words it, to explore possibilities. That's okay. Explore, search out, dive into God's word. It's not wrong to press conceptual boundaries. Trying to understand and reconcile 100% God and 100% man, that's difficult. I don't know how it works. I see scripture reveals these things. And so I ascribe to it. I believe it. I understand that much of it. Scripture teaches it. I'll submit to it. I don't know how it works. But then to force or pigeonhole understanding that that does a disservice to God's word is going too far. And that's exactly what it says. The fault in heresy is its unwillingness to accept that it has failed. And when you add to it the weight of scripture and all the verses, you realize, man, it just doesn't hold up to the test of scripture. It makes sense for some verses, but it totally forces you to dismiss lots of other ones. We don't want to do that. We want to hold all of scripture in attention and try to understand what it's saying. Okay, John Piper will word it like this concerning heresy. Heresy is a teaching or a conviction that contradicts something so central and precious to the Christian faith. It disqualifies that person from being a Christian, basically, right, as it goes on. And so consider those things as we move into what is good teaching and what is bad teaching. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10 is a verse, great verse concerning sound doctrine. I'm going to read 2 Timothy 4, verse 3. It says it this way. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they'll heap up for themselves teachers or articles about snapping turtles, right? And so they will not endure sound doctrine. We've talked about this verse many a time. Sound doctrine is a, two words in the Greek. It's hygiano didacte. Hygiano, where we get hygiene from. Some of you practice hygiene. It, and why? Well, it, it keeps you healthy. It removes you of any filth that might be on there or in your body. And so hygiene keeps you healthy, keeps you clean from impurities. And what Paul's trying to articulate here is we need healthy, pure, good teaching. Doctrine is didacte or just teaching is fine. Things that you believe, things that we're going to articulate. And so we try to prioritize the teaching of God's word because we have lots of scriptures like these that deal with teaching is really important. There are other times we'll gather as a church to prioritize other things like the move of God's spirit. We want that here, no doubt. We pray for it. Sometimes that space or room's not allowed for other things, but we do wanna make space for that in home fellowships. That's why it's so important to get plugged in to that smaller body of Christ to come be a part of home, a Sunday night worship and prayer and allow the Lord to work. Anyway, sound teaching is important as you can see. There's gonna come a time where they won't endure it. They just want something else. I've heard about the, you know, saved by grace through faith, but what about this? I understand that about one man and one woman, but what about this? Isn't this an interesting way of looking at it? And then you all of a sudden get, start getting into trouble. So we want good, healthy teaching, that's all. Even if the world hates you for it, I just want what's healthy and good and have a responsibility to then proclaim that, as do all of you, by the way. Titus chapter one, verse nine, this is the context, in fact, of the elders of the church, those whom God has called, that these men would be able to take what would be unhealthy and correct it. And so there's an important aspect there where God has said, hey, I need you guys to make sure that you do this. If you don't do anything else, at least make sure that there's healthy teaching going on. And you'll notice, holding fast the faithful word, that's this right here, we're gonna hold fast to it, not let go of it, as you have been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine, by healthy teaching. That's how you do this. How, how do you convict or exhort and convict those who contradict? Through healthy teaching from God's word. You take them right back, to hear. Not your opinions. Nobody cares about those. God's word. That's all I want. All right. So that gives us Titus 1.8. What about bad teaching and what is it and what does it do? In 2 Timothy chapter 2, we alluded to this, I think last week, maybe. He says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That would be healthy doctrine. 
He says, but shun profane and idle babblings for they'll increase to more ungodliness. You can see the connection to things that are unhealthy and how it leads to ungodliness. There's a connection between the two. Bear that in mind. Verse 17, and their message, those who have this kind of a message, it will spread like cancer. He names two guys who are saying something that's not true, bad teaching. Well, the word there, like we talked about a little bit last week is a gangrene, where we get the idea or word of gangrene. You all know what gangrene is, something that starts out really small and if left unchecked and unmedicated, it turns into something that could actually kill you. So we were up in Michigan City this weekend at a family reunion and we're walking away from the beach and my daughter Nora steps on this really big thorn and she falls to the ground, ah, dad, you know? And just like, pull it out. I mean, that's all I can, I'm like coming up to do it. She's like, no. And I'm like, well, it's you or me. You know, it's like, you have one choice here. Pull it out. (laughs) That's all you get to do. So she pulled it out. I was so proud of her. She did it. But that little bitty thorn left something in there, right? And so we have to keep an eye on it. But even something so small like that, you think you're walking, things are fine, having a good old time. You're walking wherever. And all of a sudden something happens. You hear something Something piques your interest. Just this little bitty thing. I'm just telling you, I'm not trying to be sensational. This is how gangrene works. If you leave it unchecked, if you allow that thought to continue or that teaching or whatever to just linger in the background, here's what's up. It will affect you. It's gonna happen one way or the other until you deal with it. And you might not deal with it until you're like foot's inflamed and you've got streaks going up your ankle. And now all of a sudden you gotta go to the hospital or something, or maybe you gotta dip your foot in Epsom salt. That happened to me one time, backpacking. I had these silver dollar blisters on my heels from it and it got infected bad. And my foot was swelling up, red hot as could be. I had to sit in Epsom salt. It was one of the most painful experiences in my life. But I took care of it. I was thankful for it. Didn't have to cut my leg off, right? My grandpa was a diabetic. His foot got infected and they had to cut it off because he just could not heal. He wasn't able to deal with that. So as a church, how do we heal that? We teach healthy doctrine. We hold fast to it so that those things don't happen. I don't want gangrene to happen. Now, it can happen in your own life personally if you hold fast to or entertain teaching that's not healthy. That can impact you. That can infect you, okay? Just so you're aware. You guys got to deal with this. But then also there's somebody who could bring teaching into the church that affects the church at large. And we got to be careful there as well. Paul deals with that in Titus chapter three, verse 10. He says it like this, nine through 11. He says, but avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law. Well, why would I? Well, because it's unprofitable and useless. That's why it's a waste of time. It's a detraction from what is important and what we really need to deal with concerning kingdom things and Jesus, the gospel, et cetera, et cetera. It doesn't mean your only conversation can be on that. He's saying these people are bringing it to the forefront. He's guys, it's not about that. Let's keep it main and plain right here. And then he says in verse 10, he says, reject a divisive man. That word divisive is the word heretic. Reject a heretic after you'll notice the first and second admonition. So let's take, for example, there in the book of Acts. You've got these believing Jews who were saying you have to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses in order to be saved. They now have convened and they're going through God's word, trying to understand, is this necessary or not? They come to the conclusion, no, you don't. Jesus made it clear. God's word makes it clear. We see that this isn't an expectation that we're having. That's not how people are saved. If you remember Peter said, referencing the Jews, will be saved like they were. Incredible moment. And so then what happens? Well, then you've got your believing Jews who had submitted to that, right? They submitted to that understanding and they moved on. They changed what they believed because God's word made it to be so. But what if they said, no, that's not true. We refuse to believe that. You have to be saved or circumcised. You have to be, you have to keep the law of Moses. Then the church, Paul, and maybe Peter and James would have said, no, man, we're like, that's not true. You're being a heretic. You're being divisive. This isn't true. This is not healthy doctrine. They would have gone back and forth. And eventually if they would have said, no, then they would have had to reject them. You no longer can be here because you're impacting and affecting the church in a way that could be detrimental, that can destabilize the core of your faith of the people. And we see that happen that this person in verse 11 He'll go on to say, knowing that such a person, they're warped and sinning. Something isn't right. They're not hearing from the Lord as they ought to. They're not submitting themselves to God's word. They're already self-condemned. 
And so the importance of healthy teaching, obviously, hopefully you guys see it, we want to be able to walk well. Now we'll take a moment and we'll just talk through what are some really important teachings. Okay, so essential doctrines and dogmas and so on. When you see this picture, it wasn't necessarily meant to be shown to you because it's all, well, it's mostly Brett's handwriting. He had done this for the youth and it's, it was just really informative and good and I appreciated it. So we studied through it and added some things. Okay, so then the point is this, just to show you that there's a somewhat of a gradient that as you go down the list, like I, I hold less and less tightly to these things. The very beginning of it, you hold fast to it at any cost. So that, that's kind of what we're thinking. If you, for example, don't believe Jesus rose again, then you've now moved outside of what would be considered Christianity. If you don't believe that Jesus is 100% God and 100% man, you've missed it. You've lost it. You're no longer walking. Just so you're aware, these are things we wrestle with and wrestle through. Clear teaching of God's word. Is it difficult sometimes to understand how it works? Yes. But is the teaching there clearly? Yes. Again, Trinity, hypostatic union. Although, okay, you see that there, salvation by grace through faith alone. That scripture is all we need. We don't need church tradition don't ever care about my opinions and what I've done. I want God's word to be the thing that drives us and helps us understand it. There's one God. You'll see those are dogma, things that are foundational, meaning that if I believe something different, Jehovah Witnesses or Mormons, for example, they divorce themselves from many of these truths and they're outside of what we would consider Christianity. Here's why. They believe in a Jesus that doesn't exist. And that's dangerous. Now, this isn't somebody trying to be like nitpicky. This is serious stuff. You cannot mess up Jesus. If you mess that up, then who are you putting your faith in? A person who doesn't exist, perhaps. We won't go into all of that. Just these are thoughts for you guys to consider and digest and, and work through kind of on your own. As you roll down the list, you see healthy teachings. Below that, you'll notice it says Christians. Everybody below that, you're a Christian. It might be unhealthy, you might believe things that are absolute baloney, but you can believe in baloney and believe baloney type stuff and still be saved, okay? God's grace is sufficient. But you'll notice that there'll be some difficulties that we might start having. And here we see there's divisions or maybe where you would find almost denominational differences. Here we teach through the word, chapter and verse. And many of you are a part of this church because that's what you desire simple expositional teaching through God's word. These are things that we believe to be like really healthy and we would do probably no matter what. Like we would hold pretty fast to that. We're not gonna let go of that one. The gifts of the spirit are for today to be done in order. We're not going crazy with it, but we recognize these are things that we desperately need as a church. That's a healthy teaching. Not everybody believes that and that's okay. <clears throat> we disagree, but that's okay. The focus of Jesus, the focus on the gospel-centered church, kind of as opposed to maybe a prosperity gospel. And so if I started teaching topical prosperity messages, you all would have a problem with that because you're smart, you've been well-taught, and you know that this isn't healthy at all. This actually doesn't go along with what God's word says. It's unhealthy. And that's when you would probably stand up and say, enough of this baloney, get this guy off stage and give us some meat, give us the word. And you would be right in doing so. Maybe just send an email first though. <laughs> biblical ethics or biblical sexual ethics, those are important. And you probably should be a part of a fellowship in a church that believes in this historical, normal biblical ethics that we're not divorcing ourselves from what the Bible has always taught and the things that God's word very clearly teaches. You should probably be a part of a place that upholds those things, in my opinion. Can you be a Christian and have bad biblical sexual ethic? Yes. And let, you can just be amazed at the cross at that point in time, that God's grace is incredible. And praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord for that. It doesn't mean you're right. It doesn't mean you should stay there. But praise the Lord. He's so faithful. He's so patient. As you work down through these, you can see just how 
tightly do you hold? There are many other things we could add to this list. This was never meant to be exhaustive. And again, some of you might be putting one thing up here and then moving another thing down. That's fine. That's not the point of this to go into the details. It's just maybe to offer a little bit of an explanation as to what is really important to hold fast to. And if you move beyond that, you're walking in heresy now. This is not good teaching and it's gonna lead to destruction. But as we move down here, we get into the realm of Romans 14. As you kind of gradient down, you move into the realm of like conviction and what I think God has called me to. Opinions, things that we hold to, but that it's not necessary for salvation in any way, shape or form. As a Calvary chapel, a literal thousand year reign of Christ, our eschatology, we take it pretty literally what the Bible says. We believe in a pre-tribulational rapture, not mid or post. That's where we are eschatology wise. You can believe something different and probably still go to church here and really not have a problem. It's not like we talk about it nonstop. It's certainly what we believe. And I wanna be very clear and that's what we hold to or what I hold to as a pastor. And so you can probably sit there. We teach through God's word. You know, like you could, you're probably thankful for that. Could you be a part of a church that doesn't teach through God's word? Yeah, you probably could. And there would be health to that, no doubt. There are many churches here that are healthy and good that don't teach expositionally. You could be there. Wouldn't be something where you, I can't stand it. No, you would just go to another church. It's okay. Or you just sit there and enjoy and thank the Lord for what he's given you. I'm not meaning to go through everything in detail. I'm just offering these things. So hopefully I'm not being confusing. And, I, and we'll get into some more scripture in a second that'll help. I think understand this. You'll notice it says Cal-Armenianism, okay? As a fellowship where we are, and then I'll speak for myself especially, not Calvinists, not Armenianists. Do you see both in scripture? The answer is yes. And here's where I'm at. I don't know how they work together, but I know that they're both there, that God is sovereign and calls and does that work. But I also know that there's a response that he asks of us to believe. And so I see those things, just being honest with you guys. And the Calvary Chapel kind of holds it like that. Like, ah, they're both true. I don't know how they work together, but they're definitely both true. I can't just, I can't do away with all those things in order to hold fast to this. I find that to be kind of foolish. You, you get into areas where it's just, I don't have to do that to scripture. I can hold on to these things like this and it might not be a perfect soteriology, but man, I'll tell you what, it does, it allows scripture to speak. Okay, so that's kind of where we're at. You can go to a church. You could probably sit here. Let's say you're a five-point tulip person and you can sit here and learn and probably be appreciative of what goes on here. You don't have to hear it time and time again because it's not something that's super important. Or maybe you're an Arminius and you, whatever. It doesn't matter. These are examples. You can be here. So we're holding less and less tight the further we go down the list. Does that make sense? We're holding fast to probably definitely the first ones. The second ones, it's like, oh boy, I'm holding fast to those. Yeah, especially as a church and who we are as a Calvary. And then you see finally style. What kind of band we have, the music, the guitar, casual dress versus formal dress. You can dress as you want when you come here. Of course, there's modesty. We'll get to Romans 14. Different things like that. 40 minute teaching versus 20 or an hour or not. You know what I mean? So there's things like this. We hold real, real lightly to that. I'm not gonna get in an argument over that. It's not worth it. There's certainly, we have a conviction about certain things. But if another pastor somewhere thinks, no, I only need to teach 20 minutes and that's it. I'm not gonna like call him a heretic, Right? We're gonna to walk together. We might do things differently, which is totally fine. It's okay. They need to be convinced that God has called them to do that, as do you. What we believe drives our life. Don't forget that. What you believe about God and these particular things will drive how you behave as a Christian. And so they do matter. And it is important for you to, take cons- to, to consider these things and to be a good Bible student and to submit yourself to God's word. Never forget that. Submit yourself to his word. Not the teaching of the church. Hopefully what the church is teaching is God's word. But it's up to you to sit here and navigate through this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 16 through 21, it says this. It's like a checklist. It's a way of doing something. It's beautiful. Let's say you're struggling with something. Well, let's start here. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Lord, give me understanding into what your word means. Help me understand your word. And everything give thanks. This is the will of God and Christ Jesus for you. And then verse 19, it says, do not quench the spirit. Allow the Lord to speak and give him the freedom to speak as he wants. Don't despise prophecy. When he does speak, maybe you could say, listen to it. Don't think little of it. We'll get to the word despise in a moment. And then it says, test all things. 
And so you should be testing what I'm saying now, right? You should be comparing it with scripture. Is this what scripture teaches? Is it not? Test all things and then hold fast to what is good. And so I gave you just a little bit of a description. I also wanted to point out, if you guys ever have questions as far as what we believe, what are our distinctives? First thing, there's a book in the info center you can grab. It's called Calvary Distinctives, Should You Care? That's available. A lot of these, like we don't make a big deal of because it doesn't have to be something that would cause division and hopefully we can all sit here and understand. But I will want to be clear, like there are things that we believe as a church, right? If you ever wonder what they are, our website has it on there, what we believe, our values, and even some of our methodology and why we do the things that we do. But if you have questions, just ask. We'd love to sit down and talk through and dispute like how the scriptures talk about it, mutual questioning. How'd you guys arrive at that conclusion? Why do you believe this about the end times or this? Or how, why do you believe this about male headship? Whatever the situation might be, ask. And then we'll have a Bible study together and just walk through it. So I just wanna make that clear to you guys. Yes, there are distinctives. We are things we hold to as a church. You can check it out on our website. But like what we hold fast to, like let's just go through God's word and teach there. And so hopefully that makes sense would want to just want to let you guys know that. Okay, with that being said, we're going to totally shift gears, except that it kind of relates. So it's a gear shift of relating, okay? Totally, yep, there you go. Romans 14 is going to deal with those peripheral things, those convictions, meaning that when we dive into Romans 14, he's not talking about very clear teaching on what is sin and what isn't sin. What God's word says is very clear. So we're talking about conviction. And I'll explain that. Here's the deal. I'm not gonna go in and explain every single nuance. That's a dangerous thing to do because a lot of times these depend on the situation and the person. This will make sense in a moment. But this is the heart behind the law of love. Now, why are we bringing this up? It's anchored to what happened in Acts chapter 15, what they said in verse 20, 21, and then 29. In verse 20, 20 and 29 are the same verse, essentially. The order's different in the two of them. But abstain from things strangled, from blood, and from things offered to idols, and then abstain from sexual immorality. And those four things, again, were found in Leviticus 17 and 18. And the reason why James gives it is in verse 21, where he says, because Moses is read every Sabbath. And in order for the believers... Christians, or sorry, the Gentiles and the Jews to get together in a way that's significant and profound and meaningful. What James is asking the Gentiles to do is to lay aside certain liberties so that they can connect and fellowship together. I think that is the main thing. And as you guys study and read, you'll probably find that's what they were trying to get across. Are there other auxiliary things? Yeah, probably. But that's the main thing they're trying to accomplish here. Laying aside certain liberties that we have in Christ to foster fellowship. And so that's what Romans 14 deals with. Let's look at it. Okay, receive one, this is verse one, receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. I'll explain all this. For one believes that he may eat all things, but he who's weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats for God has received him. Now, Interesting point, how much the Bible loves food. Okay, it's not just me. It's his word that deals with food nonstop. The very first verse, a little confusing in NKJV. If you study the words like disputes and doubtful things, it's just interesting how those were translated. I'm gonna read it from ESV and NASB. I think it offers clarity. As for the one who is weak in faith, this is ESV. Okay, there it is. As for the one who's weak in faith, welcome him but not to quarrel over opinions, okay? And then NASB, now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. What do you mean accept? Receive, that's all, just bring them in. And if they're struggling with whether I can eat meat or not, I don't know, like bring him in and welcome him. He's part of the church. Just don't grill him over these things. Like, dude, that's legalism. God has given us liberty and you're grilling. Now, you can talk about those things, you can share these things, but here I think the wording's like, lay it, like, hold on a second, be patient and bring them in so that there's fellowship because what matters is that there's fellowship in Christ, that they're learning and growing and what it means to follow him and growing in his grace 
growing in his knowledge, like what Peter would say, takes time. And so sometimes you see something going on and you just want to jump on it. And you go, hey, don't, like, he, I think he's saying, hey, just be calm, patient. Now, your level of reaction or response perhaps is proportionate to the closeness it is to actual sin. So that's why I can't offer you like this is and that's because it depends on what the Lord's doing and the person's conviction. Okay, it'll go on for the sake of time. We're gonna do a little bit of a summary, but look at verse three. There's two different sides you can fall on when it comes to this. The first one is let him who eats, not, let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. Very simply put, let's pretend that I eat bacon. <laughs> it's not pretending, okay? Let's, okay. I eat bacon. I'll just come out with it, okay? And I have a buddy who doesn't, who, who has a conviction that he should continue to walk in the dietary law that Moses has given. Now, can he be convicted about that? Absolutely he can. He can think, I, you know what? I feel like the Lord has asked me to maintain that. There's nothing wrong with that, just so you guys know, as, as long as it stays within its right boundaries, that it's not adding to my righteousness. It's not making me more pleased or God looks at me more or him with a better, like a wink in his eye when he looks at him, like, I appreciate you passing on that plate. That's not what it means. If he thinks God's winking at him, thinking, I see that. Nice work there, bud. He's got a problem. He's wrong. But he can have that conviction. I had a very dear, I have a very dear friend who walked through those things. And so what do we do? I read this. I could despise that in him. So I eat pepperoni pizza. He doesn't. I could despise him and think, and what it means is to think little of, to write him off and think, oh, you're just an idiot. Don't you understand scripture? Don't you understand the grace of God? And I can make him come, be like, be, I can make him feel belittled because of that particular belief. And what Paul said is, don't do that. Don't do that in your heart. Don't look at a person and think that about them. That's not, that's not a way to think. That's not how God sees them. So then you shouldn't see them that way either. That doesn't mean you chat with them or don't chat with them, right? Okay, so that's the first one. Don't despise them. Those of you who have liberty to do certain things, don't despise people who don't have liberty to. Okay, don't look down at them and think, oh, you cute little person trying to make God happier. No, don't do that. That's evil, okay? Well, then we got the inverse. So now we've got my cheese only guy. He then would be judging me and thinking you're in sin. And you're wrong because you're not obeying God's law. He can't do that. That's what Paul's saying. You can't judge that. And again, guys, listen, we're talking peripheral things, convictions. He can't say, well, God's law says to com you, know, you can't commit adultery. And I think, well, I have freedom in Christ. No, you don't. Okay? <laughs> you don't. That is not clear. That's not healthy teaching. That's against what God said. Clear sin is to be rebuked and you're supposed to be confronted. And if you don't obey, then you're like, you're out eventually, right? So we're not talking about that. Okay. And so those who have liberty, you cannot despise those who don't. Those who judge or who don't have liberty, who walk more constrained, you can't look at that person and judge them in your heart thinking, man, do they even know the Lord? Right? But there's these tendencies and each of you in here will fall on different sides of this issue. Some of you will have more of a bent towards liberty. Some of you will have more of a bent towards legalism. And how you handle this is important. That's what Paul's trying to get at here. We've got to go a little bit more quickly here. Look at verse 10. But why do you judge your brother? Same word we've been using here. Or why do you show contempt for your brother? That word contempt is the same as despise. For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. At the end of the day, you have to stand before the Lord. And I have to stand before the Lord. And if he told me to not eat pork, I better obey him. And if he said I could, you better believe I will. <laughs> right? You better believe it. And so those are two sides, right? Hopefully those make sense. You could fill in the blank with those things, okay? You could do alcohol or not alcohol, right? Convinced, whatever it is. Now, drunkenness, well, that's, that is clearly wrong. That, you've crossed a line, Right? But is there liberty in Christ to drink? The answer is yes, there is. Is there restrictions? You better believe there is. And can there be a conviction on, man, this isn't something for me? Absolutely. Despise, judge, right? You have these things. So, so we wanna walk together. The whole point is unity. And you'll see that 
Let's look at verse 13, and then we'll begin to wrap it up here. He says this, therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, okay? Oh, it's so tempting to explain that it's okay to actually make a judgment based on a person's fruits. That's okay. You can't judge him. Like, yeah, you can. It just depends on a person's fruit. You can say, hey, things aren't going very well in your life. I'm noticing you're doing this. Yes, you can confront a person who's in sin. You're supposed to. We're not talking about those types of things right now. Don't judge one another, but resolve this. Make this your decision. Don't put a stumbling block in someone's way or a cause to fall in your brother's way. There's two different things. And they're actually, one is legalism and one is license or one is liberty. If you're gonna do something and pronounce something, no stumbling block. Well, that would be like the legalism thing. Don't do that. Don't put something that keeps someone else from coming to the Lord. Like, hey, you can't come to church unless you have a nice, cool shirt like what I do. Like that would be legalism where you're not allowing a person to come in. You need to be dressed a little bit nicer, please, before you come in. Can you imagine that? We don't do that. There are churches that are like that. I was talking with a brother after service who grew up in a particular denomination. And unless you were dressed a certain way, you were like looked down upon. And he was sitting there crying because of just all that he had to endure and so on and the freedom that we have in Christ and the beauty of it. So that's a thing, okay? It's foreign to us as a Calvary because we're super casual, right? But I don't wanna put something in between someone coming to Christ. And then there's the other side of that, which is I don't want to live in such a way that causes a person to sin. And so you have to consider both sides of these things, don't you? And how do we know what to do? You have a relationship with Jesus. You allow the spirit of God to minister to you. You need to sit with him and ask him these questions. Is this okay that I do this, Lord? You allow the word of God to be a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of your heart. Go back to God's word, read scripture, ask him and he'll speak to you. He's so good to do that. Okay, the word there for cause for him to fall is this word scandalion, which means offense. A trigger, like if you were to set a trap and then you kicked it and it grabbed your foot and moved you up, like that's what you're doing for your brother. You're living in such a way that they're gonna get snapped and caught up in something. Consider this with parenting as we, we just need like more stop time, right? Consider this for parenting. I want my kids' hearts, not just behavior modification, right? I want their hearts because I could, or the goal is Jesus, uh, not good kids. My goal is for them to follow Jesus and love Jesus, not become Pharisees. Now, that doesn't mean I don't set standards for them. So please understand what I mean when I'm going through this, okay? I could force them to wake up every morning and you have to read five Bible or chapters in the Bible And then we're gonna sing songs while we hold hands and then you're gonna speak in tongues and you're gonna, I could do that. I'd be the greatest dad ever, they'd love me. (laughs) I could force them to do that, couldn't I? But what's gonna happen? They're gonna read and they might read it and, and go in and out. Word doesn't return void, come on, I know. But I'm telling you, I would think that's gonna drive their hearts away from a living and beautiful relationship with Christ. Here's what I wanna do. I want to inspire my kids to follow Christ. By the way, I live my life By the way, I love them and love my wife, which is a rhyme, okay? I want to inspire them. I want to show them what it looks like, that they would want to be in the word, that they would long for it. I want to pray every single night that God would give them a longing to be in his word. I don't want to force it upon them. Do I recommend it? You better believe it. Do I ask them if they do? Yes. Do I hold them accountable to it? You better believe it. But we got to be really careful forcing our convictions on people. It's about their heart. You guys know that. The second one is what we do in moderation. You guys know, they're gonna do an excess. So even though I might put them and say, you can't do this or you have to do this, there's also a way I live my life that they look at it and think, well, well, then I'm gonna do this, you know? If he speaks like that or if he watches this, then I can do this. They take it and they go in excess. And so you just have to be careful how you live your life. You guys know these things. Again, the goal is Jesus, not kids who think I'm cool. The goal is Jesus, not Pharisees. The goal is Jesus, not kids who think I'm cool. So just bear this in mind and it goes out in our relationships here. We'll wrap it up like this because we need time to slow down. Like, I don't know what it's gonna take to slow time down, but it's not working. But here's what it's up. Look at verse 19. And my wife was so good to just say, hey, just end with this. (laughs) She's so wise. It says, therefore, let us pursue the things that make for peace 
and the things by which one may edify another. That is exactly what happened in this letter that was written to the church in Antioch. They're saying this, Gentiles, are you guys open to just pursuing the things that mean for, or that lead to peace and that'll edify? Because if you guys continue to buy from that store that didn't do this or that, like the Jews are gonna have a really hard time gathering together with you. And they, the Gentiles will say, that's easy stuff, man. We would love to give business to Jim over there who's selling things kosher or whatever. Absolutely no problem. I don't want to hinder my relationship with you because of the liberty that I have. You gotta be really careful. And you can't hold and judge a person and sit there and say, oh, I'm so much better than them because I don't fill in the blank. All this is watch your heart. And if you have questions or wonder, listen, we have God's word. Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. Commit your ways, roll your, them into the Lord. Trust in him also and, you sh- and he shall bring it to pass. We can trust him with it. If you have questions, if you're wondering, am I supposed to do this? Am I allowed to drink? Am I not? Should I wear this or should I not? When we're talking modesty, if you're wondering, you're like, oh man, I don't know. Then you need to take it to the Lord. And as you'll see, the last here in Romans 14, 23, he who doubts or is unsure, like that's like the, oh, I don't know, is condemned if he eats. So you're like, oh, should I, am I allowed to? I don't know. And if you do it, it's like, oh, you probably shouldn't have. Because he doesn't eat from faith. It says, whatever is not from faith is sin. So if you're convinced that pepperoni pizza is for you, eat it. <laughs> eat it up. Save me a piece, but eat it up, okay? But if you're like, oh man, I just, I don't know. Then don't and pursue the Lord and allow him to speak to you. If you're not sure about wearing this or wearing that, it's like, oh, I don't know if I should, oh, I don't know. Then don't. Put it before the Lord and allow him to minister to you. Okay, I'm just gonna trust the spirit will figure that one out, okay? All that stuff. <laughs> Go ahead, Ed, let's do it. Maybe just do the chorus. <clears throat> I'm sorry. <laughs> it's just so good. Let me pray and then we'll do the chorus. If you guys have anything that you need prayer for or clarification, come on, just ask. Well, let's pray. Jesus, we ask that you would make sense of all of that, that as Christians and especially as the church here at Horizon Indy, you would cause us to love one another in a way that's special. Not like, I don't know, watered down like what this world is, but like a real love that comes from you, Jesus. A love that's nuanced and understands that there's things that are right, there's things that are wrong, and we wanna walk well. I wanna walk worthy of the gospel. So we ask for help in navigating all of these relationships and the things that I feel convicted about that I shouldn't partake in, but others can. And And to allow them that liberty, Lord, show us when should we speak up and when should we hold our peace? Lead us by your spirit in that. And Lord, if there's things in here we're doing that we shouldn't do, would you convict us and that you, would you cause us as a church to be holy, set apart for your purposes, that this world wouldn't have a hold on us. We trust you with all of that. Holy Spirit, work in the hearts of people. Do your thing. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. 